0: Now, to Joshua chapter 7. Open your Bibles if you haven't done so already to Joshua chapter 7. Um, Guests, again, back to you. We are working our way through the book of Joshua um, near the beginning of it still. You can catch up wherever you find a podcast. You can find the first uh, six chapters that we have worked through. And as we look at chapter 7, one of the first things we're going to see is how, how quickly, and it's really amazing how quickly things can turn in our human existence. I don't know if you're like me, but you've experienced these things where things might be going great, everything seems fine, and just like in a moment, it seems like things go awry, things go backwards. One moment, you are reveling in all of your money, you're like Uncle Uncle Scrooge, just swimming in your coins, and everything is great, you're at the top of the world, and within a moment, the very next day, you lose to Kansas. (laughs) Sorry, Tyson. Just like that, it can happen. In the blink of an eye. This is what we see happening in Joshua. If you look at the end of chapter 6 where we cut off last week in verse 27. It says, So the Lord was with Joshua and his fame was in all of the land. The people of Israel had just been sent to take down Jericho. They marched around Jericho for six days, Then on the seventh day, seven times. The walls fall. They go in. Everything is great. They are accomplishing, fulfilling what God had promised them, what God had called them to. And then in a moment, here in verse 1 of chapter 7... But the people of Israel broke faith in regard to the devoted things. For the son, for Achan, the son of Carmi, son of Zabdi, son of Zerah of the tribe of Judah, took some of the devoted things, and the anger of the Lord burned against the people of Israel. One moment, Joshua's fame is spreading throughout the land because of God's faithfulness and all that he has done and his obedience. And in the next moment, God's anger is burning against the people of Israel. You heard Harrison read for us. From 1 John chapter 2, ultimately, while Israel and Joshua isn't aware of this, what we see is this verse coming to life, this New Testament verse playing out in this Old Testament story. Do not love the world or the things in the world. Because if we love the world, if that's our hope, if this world is all that we're after, here's the very sad reality of a human existence. We will get this world, but nothing else. So often, that's what we do as human beings. We chase after, we pursue the world, and we lose everything else. So in verse 1 of chapter 7, we hear and essentially see the entirety of the story of how quickly things can turn. And then in verse 2, Here's sort of the unpacking of that story. Here's all of the details God gives us in his word. Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is near beth east of Bethel, and said to them, go up and spy out the land. And the men went up and spied out Ai, and they turned to Joshua and said to him, do not have all the people go up, but let about two or three thousand men go up and attack Ai. Do not make the whole people toil up there, for they are few. So about 3,000 men went up from there, from the people, and they fled before the men of Ai. And the men of Ai killed killed about 36 of their men and chased them before the gate as far as Sherebim and struck them at the descent. And the hearts of the people melted and became like water. The hearts of the people melted. This is the Israelites who, if you remember, Rahab had said of the Canaanites that were in Jericho, The hearts of our people have melted because we've heard about what God has done. Here we have the exact opposite of those events where the Israelites, the people of God, their hearts are melting because they see God's hand of protection lifted from them. Essentially, Joshua says, just like he had done with Jericho, hey, I'm going to send some spies out. I want them to go and investigate the land, see what's happening in this, this city. Jericho fell first. Now we've got to go to the next city. This is how we're going to take it down. So he sends a couple of his guys up there. They go up to the city. They come back and say, easy, we got this. We don't even need the whole army. Just send a few thousand of us, and we'll be able to take them down quickly. And then as soon as they get there, they get chased out. They have no victory, and ultimately 36 of their men are killed And their hearts melt. What we think about when we understand, and Joshua, of course, as we're gonna see in verse 6, he's unaware of this. He doesn't know what is happening or why this is happening. But if we consider the sin of Achan, we look at what Achan did, it says that Achan. Took some of the devoted things. Back in chapter six, when God had sent the Israelites into Jericho, he said to them, Take the gold and the silver, put that in the storehouse. You're going to save that away from everything. Everything else must be destroyed. Everything. But Achan, didn't do that. Achan took a few of those things. He said, hey, I need to store up some things for myself. You can imagine Achan was probably one of the men that had marched around the city of Jericho and had been kind of thinking about, I don't know what God has us doing out here. This is kind of crazy. I'm not real sure about why he's having us do that. You ever had that conversation with the Lord? I know I'm doing this and I'm kind of doing it because I think he told me to, but I really don't understand why. And so he's doing this thing and he's marching around and the sin kind of starts to build up in him. I'm not real sure about what God is telling us to do, but he goes into the city and he sees these things and he knows that they're not there to to be hands off, but he takes them. He says, I need to have these for myself. I'm kind of, you know, we've had that manna. I'm not real sure what's going to happen anymore. I want to make sure I have enough food. I want to provide for my family. At the heart of Achan's sin, what we see, what we might define that or what we might call that is greed. Achan experienced Greed. He wanted to have something. He felt like he needed more. But at the root of that, what we see underneath, and this is always what is underneath greed, the underlying, the true source of that sin, is a lack of trust in God. Achan didn't trust God. And imagine that. After all he had seen God do, God had told he had maybe not seen this, of course. In fact, he didn't see this, more than likely. God lead the people out of Egypt. He's the next generation, and so he's wandering in the desert. But God provides for them. He doesn't like the food, probably, but every day he's got a meal. He then comes to Jericho or comes to the River Jordan. He sees God split the Jordan in half, another Red Sea type of moment. His people walk across on dry land. They come in. He sees Jericho fall. All of these amazing miracles of God, and in spite of all that he had seen God do, He didn't trust God. He didn't believe God. He didn't take God at his word. Achan's sin shows us man's heart, how quickly, how prone we are to wander off, to think that we know a better way, that we we deserve more. We think to ourselves, I want to have that. I should have that. I deserve that. This is something that I need, and we don't trust what God has given us. And ultimately, one of the reasons that we struggle, contentment, which is such a hard thing for us to achieve, but the reason that we aren't content is really, once again, it's rooted in a lack of trust in God. I'll paint this picture very personally. I sometimes periodically scroll in the morning, christian twitter yeah it's a thing i know it's weird but you know you got all the preachers on there talking about what's happening in their church life ministries various things it's it's just twitter but kind of the people i follow are, you know in the ministry world and so i see you know my friends in other parts of the world in other states having these experiences people from our church planning network this is happening they share these stories of god's faithfulness they do this they do that i see those and you don't want to know where my heart goes my sinful heart goes why can't i have that Why didn't I get invited to speak there? Why wasn't I a part of that gathering? Why wasn't, how come we don't see that happening in our church? Where's the revival here in our community? All those things, my heart, not trusting that what God has given me is exactly what I am intended to have. What God has provided for me, the place that I stand, the calling on my life, all of those things. Here's what I know. I am supposed to be here with my family the husband of Laurel, the father to Grayson, Carson, and Hudson, pastor at City Church. This is what I am supposed to do. And this longing, this desire, this belief that I'm supposed to have more, I need to have more. Yes, we can have dreams and we can have aspirations, but ultimately I need to trust God that he has put me exactly where he wants me to be and he's provided exactly what I need and no more. This constant need for more This lack of contentment is again rooted in a lack of trust in God. Do you trust God? Do you think and you see, we sang that song talking about the joy of our salvation. And yes, we're speaking of the joy of our salvation the day that we were redeemed by Christ, called as sons and daughters, but we're also the joy of our salvation as a life in Christ, as living life where we know who we are because of Christ and in spite of our sins and in spite of all the brokenness that we might experience, in spite of how often we drift away, yet He still loves us. We know all of that. We believe all of that. We see that. We see the evidence of that in our lives. And then immediately after this gathering, we go out into the world And there'll be something, and we'll say to ourselves, but I think I want that. And it's okay for me to want that. And so we justify it and we fear it away because we don't trust God. Trusting God was at the heart of Achan's sin. And we would be wise to consider, do we trust God? Do we trust in him and what he has given us? And are we content in that? Or like Achan, do we think, no, surely we want more and we'll justify anything to get more. In response to this sin, what happens in Ai, as the men come back, they're reporting their 36 dead, Joshua does this in verse 6. Then Joshua tore his clothes and fell to the earth on his face before the ark of the Lord until the evening. He and the elders of Israel, and they put dust on their heads. And Joshua said, Alas, O Lord God, why have you brought this people over the Jordan at all? To give us into the hands of the Amorites? To destroy us? Would that we had been content to dwell beyond the Jordan. O Lord, what can I say when Israel has turned their backs before their enemies? For the Canaanites and the inhabitants of the land will hear of it and will surround us and cut off our name from the earth. And what will you do for your great name? Joshua doesn't understand. Again, we heard in verse 1 the reason for this defeat. Joshua doesn't yet know the reason for the defeat, and so he is grieved. And the symbol of grief is the tearing of the clothes. And so he tore his clothes in mourning and grief and understanding this this is not from the Lord. This is not what God had intended. And he falls on his face, and he's crying out to God because he doesn't understand what has happened. All he knows is that this victory should have been an easy victory. This should not have even required much effort. This was supposed to be the simple one. I just saw what you did in Jericho, God, and now we go over to this city, which is supposed to be much more simple, and we have death. And he asked the Lord why. He goes so far as to then begin to forget why God did it at all. Why did you even send us over here? You send us over here and now we're dying? And this is where we begin to get a picture and an understanding, a greater degree of understanding about Joshua's character and why God had to speak to Joshua in the way he did all the way back in chapter 1. Do you remember how often God told Joshua, be strong and courageous? Remember how often he reminded him of the promises? This is what I'm doing. I'm giving you this land. This is the land that I promised your forefathers. I'm fulfilling that promise. This is what I'm doing. Be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous because he understood and Joshua's heart, and Joshua just as a man, he would quickly forget. And here we see Joshua quickly forgetting those promises, quickly forgetting that calling on his life. And he asked God, Why did you send us over here at all? Remind you of the, the Israelites when they came out of Egypt, when they're wondering where they're going to get food? They said, Just, we would have been better as prisoners in Egypt than this. Joshua is confused. And it's Joshua being tested as a leader. Now we understand why we have to be told over and over and over again. It only took one defeat, and I don't don't want to diminish any loss of life, but one defeat of 36 men's death to cause Joshua to completely forget who he was called to be and to completely forget the promises of God. Was God now going to not fulfill the promise that he had made to Israel and the promise that he had made to Joshua? Of course not, but Joshua had forgotten it. One of the things that happens, not a lot, but periodically this will happen. Somebody will come up. You guys know if you've been around a long time, if you're a guest here, I'm going to ask you to come forward and just say hello and just let me pray for you, let me encourage you in some way. But every now and again, there's a few obedient souls in the room that will come up at the end of a service and say hello to me or greet me. And every now and again, after some time, I'll have a conversation maybe over a coffee or something. You know, your sermons, they're all the same. Okay. And it kind of sounds like a little bit of a critique or a little bit cynical when you hear that. But that is true. They are all the same. I hope they're all the same. They should be all the same. Because every single time we gather in this place, we need to be reminded, I need to hear my own soul as I prepare these sermons, and as I speak these sermons, reminded of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The reason that Joshua had to be told over and over and over again to be strong and courageous is because God knew how fickle his heart was. God knows how fickle our heart is, and He understands we need to be reminded over and over and over again of the gospel of Jesus. And so, in every bit of Scripture, every word in this book points back to Christ, teaches us about Christ, teaches about the sacrifice that He made on our behalf. In some way, it points to the gospel, and we have to be reminded of that because we're going to go. Out Out into the world. If we're being obedient to who God has called us to be, we're going to go out into the world. We're going to go out tomorrow, living our lives, and we're going to be confronted with brokenness, with darkness, with things that 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 tempt us away from remembering who we are, away from remembering the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we have to be reminded over and over and over again. I need to be reminded that in spite of all that I see happening in the world, in spite of all the things that I come very closely face to face with in my own life, personally, professionally, and all of those things, I need to be reminded that Jesus gets the victory. I need to be reminded that there is nothing that can separate me from the love of God. I need to be reminded that my future is secure in Christ and there's no events, there's no circumstances, there's no even death in this world that can separate me from those things. I need to be reminded that this life is not everything for me, that my hope is somewhere else, that I have a future that is untarnished, unperishable, being preserved for me by Christ, and that there's nothing that can stand away of that gospel in the way of that promise, that God will surely have victory, and he will have victory in my life and in yours. I'm going to forget that so quickly if I'm not told over and over and over again. This is why we are told. This is also why, friends, I don't know about your story but some of you may have been somewhat raised in a tradition or you might have felt like this as a child and even as an adult, have some of these things lingering in your life. That coming to church and being a part of the Sunday morning gathering of the body of Christ is something that you have to do to earn favor with God and that you're being judged by God if you don't do that enough. And you kind of are always trying to balance the scales, the, the good versus evil. But let me just tell you, friends, that God doesn't command us, direct us to not forsake this gathering. God doesn't call us to gather regularly just so that he can keep tally on us, he, he, to, to take role over our lives. He does that because he knows what we need. He loves you, and he wants you to be reminded of the truths that you can stand firmly on because he understands when you go out into the world every day of your life, it is a broken place. It's not as it should be, and you need to be able to stand firmly on firm ground, and you know how you'll do that? Coming together and being reminded As the body of Christ, reminded as God's people, who is real, what is true, so that you can stand firmly on that ground, even when you come face to face with the hard things of life. That's going to happen. You know that the hard things of life are coming for you. You also know there's nothing that you can do personally or physically to protect yourself from those things. But there is something that you can do to encourage your heart, to bless your heart, to strengthen you, to sort of undergird your life so that when you go out and you do face those things, you can face them and remember who God is and you can remember the truth. And so we gather to be reminded because you need to know Be strong and courageous. This world is broken, but Christ will win. He has won, and he will win. As God responds to Joshua not understanding what is happening, I love in verse 10 how God speaks to Joshua. The Lord said to Joshua, Get up. Stop wallowing around in the dirt, you fool. Get up. That's the Ross translation, by the way. (laughs) Why have you fallen on your face? You want to know why this happened, Joshua? Here's why. Israel has sinned. They have transgressed my covenant that I commanded them. They have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen and lied and put them among their own belongings. Therefore, the people of Israel cannot stand before their enemies. They turn their back before their enemies because they have become devoted for destruction. I will be with you no more unless you destroy the devoted things among you. Get up. What we learn from this response of God and the rest of this chapter is in a sense, if you want to read ahead or continue reading after the service this afternoon, the rest of the chapter is God explaining how he's supposed to deal with Achan to find the sinful, the kind of the, the culprit in the story, and to deal with the sin. But what we learn about God as he deals with this and, under, and teaches Joshua is that God Is more concerned, once again, we've seen it over and over and over again in this book. God is more concerned about the holiness of his people than he is the enemies that are constantly against him. He's more concerned with the holiness of his people. The devoted things, once again, those were things that were devoted to destruction. God had said they should be destroyed because they're of the world. God is holy. What holiness means, if you've ever wondered that, it means completely other, separate, different, set apart. So as Christians, we're called to be holy, called to live holy lives, and we do that because we're just modeling the holiness of our Father, our Heavenly Father, who is completely other than anything else in the world. God cannot be reconciled to sin, to brokenness without a mediator, without Christ. That's why Christ is so valuable to us. But He is holy And he is more concerned with the holiness of his people than he is about all the enemies that exist out there. And so we have to choose. Will we remain distinct from the world? Or will we try to be like the world? I don't know if you've ever found this kind of circumstance where, whatever, it could be a million different things, but you find yourself kind of dwelling and spending a lot of time on something that becomes futile. It's like you did all of this work, and well, that didn't really work out. Nothing came of that. It was kind of futile. One of the sad things about our Christian life, and I think about the Christian culture in our present-day context We spend so much time as Christians trying to figure out, trying to thread the needle to see how can I be Christian, but just kind of hang on to that and yet do everything exactly like the world. I want to be Christian. I want to have all the hope of Christ. I want to have all the promises of God, but I also just want to do everything else that all my neighbors do. I want to enjoy that. I want to have that. I want to be like that. All of those things. And we've spent all of this time trying to thread that needle. Imagine if we spent that same amount of energy and focus and attention on how is it that we're called to live apart from the world, as different, as distinctly other than the world. That is what Christ has called us to be. Again, that's why we need one another. So we can be encouraged in that. So we can be and sometimes corrected and encouraged. Hey, that's not really the way we should be going, brother or sister. We need to turn back and let's follow the Lord in this. Let's pursue the holiness of God in this situation. But We have to remember this distinction that we're called to live with. And one of the things that we can trust God in, and this is another way that we show our confidence in God and our trust in God, is that our attention and our focus is more within the camp, within our own holiness, who we are as Christians, trusting that God will deal with his enemies. We're going to see in chapter 8 how God deals with I. The story is going to continue. But what God is most concerned about in this moment is his own people. The sins of his people were much more important for God to deal with immediately than the sins of the world. The world is broken. The world is lost. Sin exists in the world. God, in his justice and in his holiness, will deal with every sin that exists. Every enemy of his will one day fall on their face, and they will worship Jesus as Lord, whether they do that as Lord or in submission to him as he brings judgment upon them. That will happen. But what he's concerned most about is the holiness of his people. And here's the amazing thing, and this is the reason that why it makes sense. It's logical. God is not just doing these things arbitrarily. But as his people remain distinct from the world and live lives of personal holiness, not trying to find our way, how we can sort of weave ourselves into the world, but remain distinct as a holy people, That is where we gain the greatest influence over those people. Again, we're going to see that unpacked in chapter 8. Sin is a very grievous issue. And we learn from this chapter that God deals with sin very seriously. The old quote, we must be killing sin or it will be killing us is very true. We have to put away those things. But here's the beautiful thing about God. Here's the beautiful thing about Christ is that our sin don't call, doesn't cause Him to change. His promises are everlasting. His promises are secure. And if we simply return to the Lord, if we simply turn away from those sins, if we deal with the sin in the camp as God instructed Joshua to deal with Achan and his people, then we can return to the Lord. And we will see his faithfulness to us continued. This is the hope that we have in Christ. So let us consider together, how is it that we can live completely other, holy and distinct lives, not pursuing the things of the world in such a way that brings honor and glory to God so that the lost and the broken, the dying world around us might know where our hope is from. And that we might encourage one another in our lives together to spur one another on in the faith when we so easily forget. Let us pray and ask the Spirit to help us. Holy Spirit of God, we come to you now. We ask that you would help us as we sang just earlier this morning. Help us to believe. Help us to trust you. I thank you for the hope that we have in you, Jesus. I thank you for the hope of the gospel that assures us. It assures us of the future. It assures us of a hope even in this life today. It's all because of who you are, Jesus. Help us now to live lives distinct, holy, set apart. Help us to trust you, God pray all these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the preaching of God's word at City Church Melissa. We meet Sunday mornings at 9 and 1045 a.m. at 2300 Vineyard Hill Lane, and we hope to see you there soon. City Church Melissa, for the glory of God and the good of the city.